Welcome to the Success in Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Rajini Kata, author of The Successful Match, and I'm here today with my co-author and partner, Dr. Samir Desai. And on today's episode, we wanted to talk about something that has impacted a lot of our friends, clients, colleagues, and that is the impact of the coronavirus on medical education. And on today's episode, we specifically wanted to discuss what international medical graduates should do if their rotation or observership or externship has been canceled because of coronavirus. So Samir, what are your thoughts? If you had a client who is an IMG and they received notice about a coronavirus cancellation, where do you think they need to start? Well, Reggie, first let me say that I've been receiving a lot of calls and emails from international medical graduates all across the country and and even the world in in a state of distress because they had made these plans well in advance to do X number of clinical experiences in the U.S. with the intent of applying for residency this September. And they have been receiving these communications from hospitals all across the country, basically saying that their observership or externship has been canceled. And in some cases, I'm meeting people who had arranged three, four, and even five experiences, and all of them have been canceled. So this is obviously something that is, uh, you know, really uh, a big concern for for this group of applicants. Yeah, and it's, I know it's very distressing. And I know some of your clients have tried to decide how it's going to impact their match strategy. And on today's episode, I wanted to really focus on sort of what are the next steps that an IMG, International Magical Graduate, should take next. And you and I had discussed this earlier, and really we talked about four main areas that I'd like to delve in deeper with you on this episode. The first area is really what should an IMG do right now in terms of their decision-making? The second area is if their rotation was canceled, how can they locate U.S. clinical experiences? The third area that I really want to talk about is how does this impact their match strategy? Because we know that U.S. clinical experience and the letters of recommendation that come out of that experience is really vital to a successful match. And then the fourth area is if you do not have Uh, the ability to replace all of your U.S. clinical experience, are there other activities that IMGs can partake in to really help with their residency match application? So, Samir, starting with the first aspect of this, what should an IMG do right now? What I'm advising IMGs to do right now is to take a close look at any communication that they have received from the hospital where they were planning to do their observership or externship you know what is the wording there is it does it say that the rotation or experience has been canceled indefinitely has the program been suspended or do they actually come out and say we're going to resume this uh, on this date or this month now what i'm hearing from these imgs is there is no firm date that these programs are offering for uh, resuming these programs and so a lot of these IMGs are thinking about what may happen, and they're thinking that these programs may be resumed sometime in the summer. 
But, you know, taking, you know, a pulse on what's going on here with the coronavirus situation, this is obviously a rapidly changing situation, you know, with the way things are going, although we might like to see that everything settles down and these programs would start in the summer, there's a very real possibility that that may not happen. And even if that happens where the situation gets better, there may be a period of time where these programs may not you know, start up again, because so many resources, so much is going to be diverted towards the coronavirus, that a lot of these other programs may take a backseat to all of these other things. And so I think there's a very real possibility that these programs won't start uh, until much later in the year. And having, and that's your conclusion, um, you know, based on everything that we're seeing right now, obviously, there's a lot of uncertainty, but I also think that it would be a real mistake at this point for an applicant to bank on these experiences starting even in June, even in July, just too many uncertainties to bank on that. So if that's the case, I think it's really important to have either a backup plan or an alternate plan. And so given that, what are your recommendations in terms of how an applicant can locate U.S. clinical experience? I always tell applicants to start with their family, their friends, their acquaintances, because there may be clinical experiences that they can easily identify by talking to these individuals. And that would be a great first step to kind of look for alternatives. And I'm really glad you mentioned that because I know I've had colleagues who got their first start by their child's pediatrician, for example, gave them that opportunity to come observe in the pediatrician's clinic. So I think that's a great place to start. And I know you've also talked extensively with your clients about the importance of uh, really reaching out to alumni networks. Can you talk about that more? Yes. Yeah, so there are so many medical schools that graduate physicians who have come to the U.S. And many medical schools have lots and lots of physicians that are well-established in different parts of the country. And so if you can reach out through your alumni office or your alumni network, you may be able to link or meet up with somebody from your school. And you obviously have a common bond with that person, even if you don't know that person yet. And that may allow you to find another opportunity because that individual is likely to be very sensitive to your situation. And I know that that's worked for so many of our clients and colleagues. Um, that alumni network can really come through. And it's so much easier nowadays than ever before with the rise of social media and the connectedness of so many individuals. But I did want to take this opportunity to step back for a moment. You know, I'm, I'm asking you about how an applicant can locate U.S. clinical experience, but let's step back for just a moment. Why is U.S. clinical experience so important when you're applying for the U.S. residency match? The reason why it's so important is because the work that you're going to do as a resident is largely clinical. And if you think about it, you're going to be taking histories, you're going to be examining patients, you're going to be presenting cases, you're going to be writing notes. Those are the bread and butter of what you're going to be doing 
on a daily basis. And you're going to be doing that multiple times throughout the day in taking care of your patient panel. And so residency programs are most interested in knowing whether you have experience doing that here in the U.S. Because if you've had that experience, then that gives residency programs confidence that when you transition into residency, that on day one, you'll be able to do these things and they won't have to invest too many resources into you to help you with things that they hope that you're bringing to them on day one. Which makes absolute sense. And of course, uh, and just to expand on that too, I know from a residency program director standpoint, they might get applications from students who've attended 50 different medical schools across the world. Can you speak to that? Yes, and that's a great point, Rajani. So with IMGs representing so many medical schools all across the world, it's very, very hard for each residency program to have an in-depth understanding of what your education and training may have been like in your country. And it's very hard for them to see how that will relate to training in the U.S. in a residency program. And so because of that, they look to your U.S. clinical experience to provide them evidence that you are going to be a good resident. And they can do that by looking at Number one, have you done any U.S. clinical experience? Number two, how much U.S. clinical experience have you gained? And number three, what is the quality or nature of the experience that you've taken part in? Which are all really important points. And that brings me to my next question, which is something we hear from a lot of uh, students, applicants. What are your thoughts about inpatient U.S. clinical experience versus outpatient experiences? Another great question. So when I talk to IMGs, there, there is a belief that most, if not all of your experiences should be inpatient and that residency programs, that's what in fact they are looking for. And the ideal mix is a combination of inpatient and outpatient experiences. Because if you think about it, in most specialties, when you are training, you're going to be spending a substantial amount of time, not only in the inpatient setting, but also in the outpatient setting. And as the years have passed, there's been more attention and more time being allocated to outpatient training during residency. And that I think is something that sometimes gets lost in all of this. And so programs will find value with both experiences in inpatient care and experiences in outpatient care. And I know in this setting right now, with the coronavirus epidemic raging across the United States, I think we, you and I have discussed this, there are certainly still a lot of opportunities for outpatient experiences, Um, even if those inpatient experiences have been cut off. I think outpatient experiences are really something that um, IMG applicants should look towards. And that's one of the things that we were discussing when you reaching out to family, to friends, to alumni network. Even if it's not possible to do an inpatient experience, you might have access to certain outpatient experiences. But Samir, let's say that you have searched through your network and you have not been able to locate an opportunity. Now, at this point, I think let's talk about professional providers of 
rotation, observership, and externship opportunities. Can you tell us a little bit about those providers and uh, and where to go to find um, high quality providers? So professional providers of observerships and externships are companies that have partnered with physicians to offer IMGs these types of clinical experiences. And, and a great place to take a look at these companies would be the AMA, the American Medical Association website, which has a extensive page dedicated to all of this. So it's not just a list of professional providers of observerships and externships, but a tremendous amount of detail about each provider so that IMGs can become informed about the different options. And what I'm going to do is make sure that the show notes on our website for this episode have a link to that particular page on the AMA, American Medical Association website. And just as a reminder, our website is thesuccessfulmatch.com. So if you go to our podcast page, you'll be able to find the link in the show notes. And Samir, to follow up on that particular issue, how do you think, what are some indicators of quality that an applicant should be looking for before they look to these paid opportunities for rotations? So one very, very important indicator of quality has to do with the preceptor with whom you'll be working. So much of your experience depends upon the preceptor. And so the questions you want to ask are, is this preceptor a good mentor? Is this preceptor a good teacher? What will I be doing under the supervisor's guidance? Will I be purely shadowing or will I be able to be more actively involved in patient care? And, and finally, how caring is this supervising physician? Is this someone who's going to really get to know me and really be there for me in different ways, including writing a meaningful letter of recommendation and providing support to me as I try to move on to this next phase of my career? And I know you and I have talked about this extensively, and this is really one of the main drivers that brought you to, to found the company, md to be connect um, And I'm going to link that up in the show notes as well, because that's something you're very passionate about, I know, seeking out these great mentors. And your company, md2beconnect.com, that's your website, is one of the professional providers of observerships that is listed on the AMA website. And I know that's something that you're really passionate about is finding these mentors who really care about the students that they're rotating with. And that actually brings me to my next question, which is specifically about letters of recommendation. You know, if you've had such a dramatic change in your match strategy, and I know a lot of our applicants started planning a year ago or even more, um, lining up their rotations, and all of a sudden they've lost three or four rotations. This obviously is going to really impact their match strategy and especially their strategy regarding letters of recommendation. So what would be your advice in this area? Well, letters of recommendation are an important part of the residency selection process. So if you look at the NRMP match data, 
and you take a look at what's important to program directors when they're making decisions about whom to interview, letters of recommendation are ranked very, very highly in this process. So for many specialties, they're the number two or the number three most important criteria that these program directors will use in making interview decisions. And one of the things that I speak a lot about with international medical graduates is the importance of obtaining U.S. letters of recommendation. And I often point to a study that was done, and this was a study which surveyed program directors in the U.S. And they asked these program directors, how useful are letters of recommendation written by physicians in other countries? And only 7% of program directors in the U.S. indicated that they place any value on letters written by physicians in other countries. I mean, that's really an astounding figure when you think about it. What that means is that 93% of program directors do not find letters from physicians outside the U.S. helpful when they're deciding who to interview. So, I mean, that's really an astounding figure, but it really brings home the point that you need to find U.S. letters of recommendation. Um, so what do you recommend then? If you are unable to locate uh, three months of U.S. clinical experience, how are you going to get three letters of recommendation? And actually, we should probably speak about that as well. How many U.S. letters of recommendation do you suggest that an IMG obtain? So let me answer the second part of that. How many letters of recommendation should you obtain? Well, the recommendation is to obtain at least three or four U.S. letters. And where that comes from is that when you look at the websites of these residency programs, that is what you will typically see. You will see language that says we require three letters of recommendation or we require four letters of recommendation. What applicants should note is the maximum number of applications you can send to any one program is four. And so that's where the recommendation comes for three or four letters of recommendation. And so typically, one of the reasons that you have recommended three U.S. clinical rotations is that that typically translates to three U.S. letters of recommendation in an ideal world. Now, if you're not able to obtain three U.S. clinical rotations, what do you suggest? Well, one option would be if you could, in a one-month rotation, which typically, traditionally, I should say, nets you one U.S. letter recommendation, is it possible through that one-month experience, and that might be the most you can do, would it be possible to work with several attendings? Could you split that month into two parts where you're working with a single attending for two weeks and then another attending for another two weeks? And that could net you two letters from the same experience. And while that's not an approach that I usually recommend, because I do believe that four weeks is optimal because it allows you to build that very, very close relationship, these are very different times that we're living in. And it, it sometimes makes us have to think about things sort of outside the box or what we've traditionally recommended. But if IMGs are thinking about this approach, they should keep in mind that a shorter period of time working with a physician 
might lead to a letter that's not as strong. But it is an option. Um, what a what if you have a non-clinical experience? I mean, what do you suggest in that in that realm? So a non-clinical experience, a letter written by a physician with whom you're working that in a non-clinical capacity can also be useful. And the most common thing we see in this regard is a letter written by a physician who is supervising your research. And that's something that can also be part of your letter recommendation package. Now, when you choose to include a research letter, for example, we generally recommend that out of your three or four letters, that there should only be one of those non-clinical letters. And so that, again, may be something that you have to think about, because if you have multiple letters that you can possibly get from U.S. physicians who are supervising your research, you may opt to do that this year because it all depends, of course, on what you can do clinically. And let's uh, let's move on to the last point um, that I really wanted to talk about, which is if you're only able to find one or two months, let's say, of U.S. clinical experience, that you know, there's still other things that you can work on to really enhance the quality of your application. Can you discuss that a little bit more? So if you're in the situation now where you may have time on your hands that you are going to devote to your clinical work in the U.S., the question becomes, what else can you do during this time that may be non-clinical, but still helps you build skills, qualities that would be valuable to residency programs. And it turns out there's a, quite a bit that you can do. So you can get involved in different types of volunteer work. You know, we're hearing from uh, students, both US students, international medical graduates about how they're trying to make an impact through volunteer work during this time when we're all dealing with the coronavirus. So there may be volunteer opportunities there as well as non-coronavirus you know, related activities. And that can be something that enhances your application and also allows you to work with a physician. And as in doing so, that may net you a letter, which, again, would be non-clinical, but could provide value to residency programs. And I know beyond volunteer efforts or volunteer experiences, you and I have talked about the availability and the fact that it's very valuable to have research experience, perhaps to work in organizations, to work in advocacy efforts, to obtain leadership positions in organizations. So there's really a lot that can be done beyond just a clinical experience. And this might be a time to explore those opportunities. And I'm going to link to some of the resources that we have on our website in this area as well. So I wanted to thank our listeners for um for their attention today. And we're going to link up the information in the show notes at thesuccessfulmatch.com. And we also have other um, resources available on mdtobeconnect.com. And this is Dr. Rajani Kata and Dr. Samir Desai on the Success in Medicine podcast. Mm-hmm.